0: Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that is available in all countries of the world, including Taiwan. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Don Acton. This week, we'll talk about what we've been watching, we'll talk about some hot. Real news, and for conflicts of interest, we're talking about whether or not we care about the upcoming new phase of the Marvel Cinematic U. Niverse. And our main review is Cruella on Disney Plus and in cinemas. But first, I've got an update for you about an ongoing topic. Oh, hit me. Regular listeners might know about my noisy neighbour who I despise. They moved out this week. A result of the petition? Oh, no, that was for something else, wasn't it? Yeah, but it wasn't my petition, but we won't won't get into that. But they they moved out. What a moment. I saw a mattress being carried out. I thought, oh, they're getting a new mattress. So they're here to stay. Look a bit further. There's a moving van. They both leave, hug with someone who I guess was their neighbour, and then they're off, never to be seen again. I won the war. What happens now, though, if you get somebody worse and you come to realise you didn't have it that bad after all? That's exactly what my better half said, exactly. But I'm going to enjoy Peace for now.
1: No no one's immediately moved in afterwards then, yeah. Vacant flat with no noise emanating from it.
0: At this very moment, a couple with two babies have gone in, but they can't be moving in just with babies and no other stuff. And they've gone in and, and there's some machine going.
1: This spells disaster already. So you've replaced bass-heavy music with screaming
0: children i'd rather have children than than the bass music
1: james before we dig into the regular format can we just have a brief reflective discussion on what happened last week with army of the dead so i don't know about you but if anybody didn't listen to last week's episode we both recommended army of the dead james a bit more hesitantly than i and i've had some right grief people are condemning me for it i think we may have lost a listener or two they just cannot believe that I recommended Army of the Dead. And I did briefly consider taking the episode down. Do you hold firm to your opinion or are you living in regret now?
0: I'm living in regret because a highly respected YouTube channel that I watch, Red Letter to Media, who always have the correct opinions on everything, they absolutely slated it and said it's a rip-off of Aliens and it's terrible and awful. And they're right, but what I said in the episode, if I recall correctly, is... I was reasonably entertained and it kept my interest with some nice action. And I do like Batista. And I think those things, for me, that's still true. But all the more harsh criticisms that are coming out are also true.
1: Yeah, I think we weirdly tore into it quite a bit despite recommending it. So we had problems with it. There's a lot of holes. But I don't think we went through it with a fine-tooth comb because there's so much that doesn't make sense and is wrong with that film. Uh, Some bits, actually, that we did mention that I cut out. So, you know, maybe we are a bit more on the money. If I just got rid of those recommends that we said,
0: I think we would have been fine. But
1: it's too late. We'll die by our
0: opinions. James, what
1: have you been watching this week?
0: Brand new on Amazon Prime. Solos.
1: I really wanted to watch this, so I'm glad that you can tell me that it's not worth my time. Or
0: is it? It's a series of solo performances. By actors, including Anne Hathaway, Anthony Mackie. Again, he's going to get the top actor of the year. I just know it. And Helen Mirren. It's set in the near future, and there's a sci-fi twist in each episode. There's time travel, robot clones, space travel. Each episode is one actor doing an episode on one of those things. I absolutely loathed it. Uh, Loathed? Loathed. Oh, okay. Even at 30 minutes an episode... I gave up after three Anne Hathaway's episode is her talking to annoying past and present and future versions of herself. She gets all hyper and then it builds to her doing a big monologue about her mother and then she cries Helen Mirren, which is episode three. When I gave up the whole episode is her sat in a chair on a spaceship, talking to the ship's AI. She talks about childhood memories and talks about the loneliness of deep space travel. And then she looks out the window, and she's only got to the moon, but she's talking as though she's in the deep reaches of space. And it builds to her doing a big monologue about herself, and she cries. The writing doesn't sustain the format, and these good actors can't make it worth watching. Not a recommend for me.
1: Right, that's it. I was st- I, I know it's coming to some fair to middling reviews, but I was still going to give it a go. But now you've—you've
0: said me three hours there-ish. If you want to watch something on Amazon Prime that is emotional character stories with a sci-fi twist, watch Tales from the Loop instead. I remember you recommending that a while back.
1: Okay, fair enough. Anything decent this week that you watched?
0: Yes. Girl from Nowhere on Netflix. Don't think I've even heard of this. It's a Thailand-based psychological drama. The Netflix algorithm recommended it to me based on things I've watched in the past. Chicha Yakul plays Nano, who is transferred to different schools in Thailand and exposes the hypocrisy at those schools. This actress was also in The Serpent. She played the serpent's estranged wife. In one episode, she exposes a teacher who has inappropriate relations. By having inappropriate relations with the teacher herself and filming it, She allows herself to be sexually assaulted by pretending to be drunk in a scene that is identical to promising young woman, except that she eventually consents and then laughs maniacally in the guy's face mid copulation, which is also quite disturbing. Each episode is like a revenge morality tale with Nano always in control and pushing people to realize the error of their ways. It's rated 18 and it does have some disturbing images and a bit of violence. But from what I've seen up to now, I'm not sure where that rating comes from. Still, it is an adult program. As you can tell from what I've just described, the acting is solid. It looks good. And you don't know how each episode is going to end because they aren't connected. Even Nano's actions are not connected because in one episode, for example, Nano dies, but then she's back in the next episode. It's like, she's some immortal, demon. It's never explained. So Anything can happen. I think I love it. It might be one of the best things I've seen this year. Girl from Nowhere on Netflix. Very
1: high praise. I'm not going to lie. Slightly confused with some of what's going on there, but it's got me ever so intrigued. And I have seen the poster for this now. I was looking it up while she was speaking. I was listening at the same time. Yeah, looks good and sounds good. What have you been watching? For me, it's the BBC versus ITV this week as event television reaches a fever pitch with the battle of midweek crime dramas. I'm building that up far too much because most people are going to have forgotten about both these shows by the time the episode comes out. First off, Innocent Series 2. I've not seen Season 1. I don't need to. These seasons, or series, should I say, they're independent standalone stories. Series 2 is a similar setup to the first, I'm led to believe, in that somebody's accused of a crime, and guess what? The title says it all. They're innocent, or are they? In this one, Coronation Street alumni Catherine Kelly plays a school teacher called Sally. She's recently released from prison. She's been falsely accused of having an affair with one of her students and then murdering them. In the first series, I'm told that you don't know whether the central character is guilty or not for the majority of it. But in series two, it's established from the off that she's not guilty. And it's about how this woman starts to piece her life together and essentially just back into society. And as you would expect... Her reputation is in complete tatters, despite her being released a good percentage of a local community. They just can't look past it, and they still see her as this filthy schoolteacher who was having sex with an underage boy. If that's not enough for her to deal with, her husband abandoned her for a trial, and he's now shacked up with another woman. Sally's release then causes a lot of friction in that relationship because there's a lot of unresolved tension between Sally and her husband, and they conveniently find different ways to insert themselves back into each other's lives, which has ramifications. But it's not just about her slipping or stumbling back into society Obviously, if she's been wrongly convicted, then who the devil did the moider? There's a parallel storyline of a group of detectives trying to unravel, you know, who's behind this death of the student. And you can imagine where that goes. I'll say no more. What the series does a really good job of is pointing out just how spectacularly your world can fall apart just from someone saying that they saw something that they didn't. And it's these mere words from a teenager that change this woman's life irrevocably. And that's regardless of whether it's true or not, because we all know how it goes. The truth is irrelevant. Once you're accused, the shit sticks, no matter how hard you try. It's just what people remember. And that's quite scary. So it's good. I enjoyed it. But the plot progresses to a huge twist. And once the real culprit is revealed for me, it, it jumped the shark and I didn't buy into it. It just seemed like it was there for shock value. I'm a bit worried of whether to say this, but it's kind of like a double twist. And I thought, because I'm going to talk about another show in a minute. I thought, hang on, this is the same twist in both shows. They can't do this. And it's almost as if they rewrote this ending because they thought, oh, the BBC have beaten us to it. Let's just shove this in. And maybe that's why it doesn't work. But I'm probably reading into that far too much. It's only four episodes. You can get through it quickly. The Innocent
0: on ITV. What else have you been watching? What's the BBC's entry into this fight this one is called the pact and it's six episodes
1: long so more bang for your book it's uh, a group of women who work in a welsh brewery they fall victim to their own idiocy and they deal with the fallout of the death of their ceo after a drunken office party and this prank gone wrong for me, this was a lot more entertaining than Innocent. And it does appear that I'm in the minority. On that one, a lot of people have held Innocent as the better show. I just think there's a lot more going on with this one. So you've got this group of women, they hate the boss, and he's this young guy who's inherited his father's business and basically doesn't know what he's doing or how to treat people. He's just a horrible weasel of a fellow. You want to smash his face in from the very first time that you're introduced to him. And they have this office party, he pisses off a bunch of people with his drunken aggressive behaviour, and this group of friends decide, whilst he's off his face, let's teach him a lesson, bang him in the boot of a car, drive him out to these woods, take pictures of him with his pants off, and leave him there. Because that's the mature way of addressing things as a middle-aged woman, definitely. And you'll never guess, he ends up dead. They all panic they think it's some sort of drug overdose but then they realize damn we could all get done for manslaughter here even if it's not murder so do you know what it's best if we just leave him here and pretend it never happened and then it evolves into this like who's going to crack first how do they keep this secret how do they keep on top of the lies and keep up appearances with the family and friends and there's also the added pressure that the main woman in it who is played by laura her husband is assigned to the case, which makes no sense because he's just a regular Bobby. And then they just go, do you want to lead up this investigation? And he's instantly promoted to a detective. That's why I saw it just it's far too convenient. And then it becomes like her living this lie, but also trying to glean information from him about how the investigation's going. And these women, they just get through so many obstacles thrown their way, and the investigation starts to gather momentum, and it's just this never-ending onslaught of shit going wrong and the truth catching up to them. It's silly, it's far-fetched, but I did have a good time with it, and I preferred it. BBC wins.
0: Okay, what's the BBC one called? The Pact. Okay. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news.
1: Hot gossip. It's not gossip. It happened. Amazon has acquired MGM Studios. I didn't see this one coming.
0: Were you aware of this? I've known it's happened, yeah. I didn't know it was in the pipeline. My inside man in MGM didn't tell me about it.
1: Damn you, Roy. Um, the main reason for this is they've now got access to over 4,000 films and 17,000 17, TV shows. And MGM, quite a well established film studio. They've got a lot of properties in the back catalogue, James Bond, most notably. But what I'm slightly confused with with this article is it's centering on the library that they're getting. It doesn't say that this is going to then allow them to just spit out more new content. I think there is that as well, but it's just not something that they concentrate on. This is the second largest acquisition by Amazon today. They bought it for $8.5 billion. To give you a, a bit of a quote as to what the reason for this is mike hopkins who's senior vice president of prime video and amazon studios he said the real financial value behind this deal is the treasure trove of ip in the deep catalog that we plan to reimagine and develop together with mgm's talented team so it does indicate that they are going to produce some content but it isn't clear whether mgm will continue under its own label time will tell as to how this will really impact amazon but i'm
0: glad because I think this is a step in the right direction. I I really don't want this to be a Netflix world. Maybe it's bad that Amazon has more power, but it's just good that it's not Netflix. And wasn't MGM almost bankrupt recently anyway? So they're probably just happy to be rid of it.
1: Yeah, they've been looking for a buyer for quite some time. So I think Amazon's probably the best that you could ask for, really. Do you know what I do wonder? I wonder if there's a lot of MGM films on Netflix that will now disappear because of this. That'll be interesting.
0: Oh, does this mean that they'll release all the James Bond films on Amazon Prime?
1: I'm sure that I read that that is a potential with this, as well as Rocky and countless other things.
0: We'll get a James Bond spin-off series with every minor character in James Bond. A 006 spin-off where Sean Bean survived that's the villain from GoldenEye, where Sean Bean has survived the fall into the satellite dish and he's been a secret (laughs) evil agent this whole time.
1: And a James Bond and Rocky crossover film. But Netflix aren't having any of this. They're not having Amazon steal the thunder. They've decided, and I know this isn't technically film news, but it's Netflix after all. They're going to take a dive on streaming video games. So shares have dropped quite recently for Netflix. So I think they've decided, right, we need to branch out. And they have shown exploration of this with some of the Burr Grill's interactive stuff and Bandersnatch, obviously. From what I've read, this isn't going to be like a Google Stadia thing. If you don't know what Stadia is, it's like a streaming platform that will play things like Assassin's Creed, or so AAA games. This is going to be a lot more mobile-focused. Do they need to review calling it Netflix? Do you think they need to call it NetSticks because of
0: analog sticks? If they don't, they're missing out, that <laughs> is brilliant. What have you got for us this week? J.J. Abrams did an interview with Collider, and in the interview... J.J. Abrams reflected on Star Wars and when it's critical to have a plan. And what these quotes basically come down to is that J.J. Abrams concedes that it would have been better to have a plan for the Star Wars trilogy. And he learned the hard way that it's better to have a plan. And this is our on Collider.com. What's interesting about it is that this all comes from an interview that took place at a press day for the 10 year anniversary of the classic film, super eight, and you can sense in the article that the writer is trying to stay on Disney's good side. So he knows that when this quote comes out, it will be seized on by the internet. As we were right, there was no plan, which it has in the Reddit posting of the article, all the comments are negative because the sequel trilogy is not popular. However, in the article, you'll see that he coaches his language quite a lot. So he introduces how episode seven came about and he talks about Abrams did Force Awakens and then Ryan Johnson and Colin Trevorrow were going to do the next two. So quoting here, the idea being that each director would build on what the previous filmmaker had crafted, leading to a sort of creative handoff from one direct to the next. In Johnson's case, that meant following certain threads that Abrams built and dropping others. The Last Jedi was a critical success, but was divisive among some diehard fans, owing to some of these decisions to the left when it looked like Abrams was plotting a course to the right. Massive understatement to say that it was some diehard fans. That is a huge understatement. It's fair to say that it, at least it was 50-50. At least it wasn't 50-50. a critical success, was it? It was a critical success with over 90% of Rotten Tomatoes, but the film that came after Last Jedi, which was Solo, bombed, and it's still hated by at least half of Star Wars fans. So he's he's been very diplomatic mm. there. And then he talks about the background to Rise of Skywalker. The resulting film... The Rise of Skywalker was similarly divisive as Abrams brought the story back around to some ideas he had while making Force Awakens. Divisive, really, universally criticised, doing a good job here being a shill for Disney. And he goes on to say, personally, I enjoyed the creative handoff between Abrams and Johnson. I like that the Force Awakens and The Last Jedi feel like distinctive films each following themes and threads that these two filmmakers sparked. But others blame this creative handoff for perceived problems with the sequel trilogy and claim that it would have been better had Abrams and or Lucasfilm planned out the three-movie arc from the beginning. And then he goes on to talk about the interview. So can you see how in that paragraph he's saying other people claimed these things they were perceived problems perceived not actual not that i think that it was bad but other people have said bad things about it shameful definitely wins an award for being diplomatic and skirting around the truth
1: (laughs) yeah speaking of skirting around the truth that's not relevant to our next segment of the podcast so why don't we just segue there right now
0: what are you talking about, you? I very much disagree Shut up with that. Up, you, that. Two. you do not have good opinions. What an idiot. I hate everything. You can't even you speak. Always. Nothing you're saying makes
1: sense. Conflicts of interest.
0: The Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to start Phase 4 this year at last. And it's a hot topic because some new trailers have been released and Marvel released their release schedule. I'm more plugged in than you. I think you're more casual. So let's talk about whether we're excited or not.
1: Offensive and presumptuous, but also accurate.
0: We're not going to go through every single film. That would be a very long episode. So I'll just touch on a few of them. Black Widow very briefly. It is one of my most anticipated films of the summer because of Scarlett Johansson, but I do think it should have been released before Endgame. And it doesn't feel like it's the start of a new thing. It's going back to watch character that's dead.
1: Yeah which is my main confusion with this new phase. So I was under the understanding, that end game meant end game, and we were doing away with all these characters. I don't know why they would ever do that, thinking about it in more depth, because it's been hugely profitable and people love these characters. So we've got another Thor film, thought we were done with that, another Doctor Strange film, Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, captain marvel sequel the list goes on so they're not done with them have i misinterpreted that was that ever the intention it feels like that was what they were going to do they were going to cut that off and then they thought no we can't do that
0: i think you just misunderstood because the black panther and the doctor strange one those are only the second films it's always been the case that new characters are introduced and other characters get the sequels within these phases. It is confusing because it was endgame. That was the end of one story. So now they have to start all over again, but also continue some stuff at the same time.
1: Right. My level of confusion is obviously dictated by the number of films that I've missed. So say, for example, Doctor Strange, I haven't seen. Ant-Man, never watched a sequel to that. So I'm missing key elements. But I suppose what excited me initially about this new phase was. I thought, oh, I've missed so many films. The ask of going back and re-watching 30-plus films, I think it is, is a lot. And I don't think I can commit to that. Do I now have a new entry point to come in and re-experience this again and stay up to date? And I don't think I do. I think I'm still going to have to rely on a lot of prior knowledge of those films, which I don't have. And that does worry me. Because I, I, is there any standalone films here that aren't going to link back to what we've seen previously?
0: Yes. No, well, they're not standalone, but there's Shang-Chi, Legend of the Ten Rings, The Eternals, and Fantastic Four much, much, much later. Those are new characters. Mm, true. So you could get in with Shang-Chi and The Eternals. They're brand new. And they're the ones coming out this year.
1: And you know what? I mean, if there are tie-ins with the more expanded universe, that is fine. I just don't want it from a storyline perspective to have to rely on those nods and me
0: getting it. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I think they're throwing out these pretty low-level characters at this point, Shang-Chi and the Eternals, for example, and the people that are going to accompany Captain um, Captain Marvel in the Marvels, and they're relying on the Marvel brand. Mm. So they're saying, it's Marvel, it's Marvel, it's Marvel, come and watch these characters that no one cares about. Maybe that's the position that you're in. Bigger uphill battle for me, I'm afraid. I am still interested, I think,
1: because... They've had such a run of success, and I think they have very carefully laid out this universe. So I do want to see how how can they maintain that? Can they even? Will it reach the same level of success, like you said, with lesser-known characters that aren't as established?
0: It is difficult because I think with the Thanos Infinity Storm things, they achieved a number of miracles, like making Iron Man and Captain America mainstream characters, which they weren't at first. The first Avengers film that brought those B C List characters together and infinity war slash endgame pulling off a 10-year build and now the question is can they do it again can you do the portal scenes from endgame which was a 10-year build and then say okay everyone watch shang chi and then wait another 10 years before you get something as epic as endgame can they do it again
1: but they've done this so cleverly because there's, there's a lot of goodwill and good feeling towards marvel with what they have done and how successful they've been. So I think they've built themselves up for success in a way because people know that they can do it. Question for you, James, what is your least anticipated and your most anticipated off
0: this list? Least anticipated is Shang-Chi. My Marvel character knowledge is based on the 1990s cartoons, Spider-Man and X-Men, and to a lesser extent, Iron Man. So anyone that wasn't in those cartoons, I will have to look up and tried to figure out who they are. Shang-Chi, if you look at his publication history on Wikipedia, he's not a big character. He is not a big character that's had a lot of big runs. And this film is an attempt to appeal to the Chinese market, which is fine. It's fine, but it is. It does come across very much as a, a product and I can't get fully emotionally excited over it. Plus the trailer was boring. I was bored by the trailer, sorry. Most excited. Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness because WandaVision was good and Elizabeth Olsen is going to be in it. So that should be interesting. And Thor Love and Thunder because it's Taika Waititi directing again. In my opinion, he reinvigorated the MCU with Thor Ragnarok. So Love and Thunder will surely be good. And it's got Natalie Portman coming back. Never watch Ragnarok. My deepest regret. Not like
1: I can't go and talk that over.
0: I was already prepared to check out on the MCU until Ragnarok. Which one are you most looking forward to?
1: I think I'm going to have to say Fantastic Four because no one's ever done this right. I liked the last, not the last attempt, actually the one before, but purely because it had Jessica Alba in it. And for no other reason, it wasn't a good film. And like I said, no one's got it right. So can Marvel, with their own property, because they didn't have it in the possession for a good long time, now they've finally got the fingers on it, can they do it how it should have been done in the first place? I want to see it.
0: I do as well. So let's answer the big question. Daniel, are you looking forward to the Marvel Cinematic Universe first 4 I'm
1: going to be awkward and say
0: mildly. What about you, James? I am, but only... After the Eternals. So from Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Thought onwards, yes.
1: Let's revisit this conversation in five years' time and see whether we were right to do so.
0: Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point, of oh, view. you? Promise sit back, this is a fact. we in the hours, Here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync. Tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. Cinderella, done. Beauty and the Beast, done. Aladdin, done. Mulan, done. What's next? Pocahontas, problematic. Hercules, strong male character. Hmm. Tell Bob we'll do 101 Dalmatians next. From the very beginning, I realized I saw the world differently than everyone else. That didn't sit well with some people, but I wasn't for everyone.
1: I guess they were always scared that I'd be a psycho. <laughs> a live action prequel feature film following a young Cruella
0: de Short and sweet, isn't it? Funny the film was, or did we enjoy it? Daniel, what did you think of Cruella?
1: so i have seen 101 dalmatians but it was many moons ago and my memory's quite fuzzy on it if i'm honest so i'm not a die hard fan as a result was i excited to see it no not so much and i think given disney plus's latest run of pay for streaming content talking about you mulan you know it left a bit of taste in my mouth and i was expecting this to be middle of the road nothing special just another way to get money out of my pocket for a subpar film however last week i said army of the dead was a rollicking good time i was dead wrong do you see what i did there because of yeah this is the definition of a rollicking good time for me you could easily see this as a bit of a lazy cash in because they've got this pre-existing ip but i think this is a really well thought out film you've got this iconic disney villain And the purpose of this is not to just give her a backstory, but to make you care about her too. So they have quite a bit of a challenge in that regard, but I really think that they pulled this off. And I do think spoilers aside that Cruella's character arc from accidental orphan to where she ends up makes complete sense for what she becomes in the Dalmatian films. And I think that does show that they really did pay attention to thinking it through. And it's that journey to get to that point with the character that I had such a fun time with. I I laughed periodically. I smiled, I was engrossed in the story and what was going on, and I really did enjoy being transported back to, is it 1970s or 1960s?
0: The 70s.
1: I thought they created the time period very well, even though I didn't know which time period it was. The performances are awesome. Emma Stone delivers an English accent with such panache and just her demeanour throughout the whole thing was just electrifying to watch. Emma Thompson is suitably evil in the role of the Baroness and gives it her all. And I just felt as though it's such a kinetic film. There's always something going on from scene to scene. There's some really visually interesting set pieces. I liked the use of the camera too. They've got these long, seemingly single shot. They're definitely not scenes. And you know it floats around these vast spaces quite fluidly. Similar to last week's film, again, I said I didn't really feel the runtime of Army of the Dead, two and a half hours. This is two hours, 15 minutes, but in comparison to that, it did really fly by. And I think I made a scoffing remark at the end of last week's episode saying, oh yeah, I'm not bothered about watching this in theatres, because why would I bother for for this sort of film? But I do regret that comment now, because I think this would have been the perfect film to reignite in me why I love the cinema so much, because it was just full-on escapism, and I loved every second. But James, what about you?
0: I don't think I have seen 101. Dalmatians, either the animation or the Glenn Close classic. So I have no attachment to the character. If there are references in this film to anything beyond the Dalmatians, I will have missed them. I can't get that enjoyment out of it. I did hear via Mark Kermode's film review on BBC News that this was in development for 10 years, development hell for 10 years, maybe. And that did concern me a bit. It is another try at doing a live action version of an old character. My expectations were low. The plot flailed around a bit too much for me. And I think that did affect my enjoyment. There's an origin story for the origin story. She's trying to be a fashion designer. Oh, she's immediately a fashion designer. That's done. It's a heist. No, that's that's already finished. It's a revenge story that goes away quickly. And because of that, it did feel long to me. It jumped around quite a lot. There are great shots. Like you've said, I won't expand on that. It's stylish. But in service of something that I just wasn't involved in, Emma Thompson playing the Baroness she said to steal the show she's good she's a legend but she does the same thing in every scene I was tired of her stuck up evil performance by the end I wouldn't describe myself as an Emma Stone fan she's also good but I thought some of it was cringe and over the top and you c- you can see it in the trailer when she's saying i am cruella and when she's laughing on the back of the rubbish truck or garbage truck they obviously think that this is a great iconic performance and all the paid off early twitter reviews said it's bold and brave it is but i was asking myself why why do we need to go over every second of every character's life in every piece of past media I think there are some CGI dogs in this, fully CGI dogs, which seamlessly integrate into the action. And that was very impressive. (laughs) That's
1: the most positive thing you can say. Oh, brilliant. I can't actually see where you're coming from with a lot of what you've said. But I think it for me was one of those films where I, too, had very low expectations. And I think I've referred to this before. But, you know, when you you sit down you watch something, you're not really in the mood for it, and then you find out half an hour in that. In fact, you are full on in the mood for this. It's exactly what you wanted. It was just that sort of experience for me because me and my partner sat down. We went, oh, it's date night. Date night just consists of us actually watching a film. Uh, and not looking at phones. She did not look at a phone once throughout this whole thing, which is a revelation that never happens. We finished it and she said, you know what, I absolutely love that. I had a really good time. Didn't it remind you of Batman? No, didn't agree with that comment. (laughs) And unlike you, I can again see what you're saying with Emma Stone's performance being a bit cringe. But this was the sort of acting for me that made me furious that Frances McDormand won an Oscar for Best Actress because I think there's just so much more in Emma Stone's performance here than there was with that in *Nomadland*, even if you do find it a bit cringe.
0: Yeah, there was a lot going on, and she puts the effort in, and she plays two characters in a way, doesn't she? The red-headed, meek Stella—is it Stella or Estella?
1: I thought it was Stella, but I do remember people saying Estella now, so I'm unsure.
0: Well, she plays that character and Cruella and she has to flip between them. One thing, though, is that she declares that she is Cruella, but then goes back to being Estella. And again, that was another thing that made it feel long and a bit confusing in terms of the arc.
1: Just a word on something very separate, because I think we couldn't be further apart on this film, and there's no point in us arguing. We've both got different opinions, it's fine. Just wanted to know what you thought, though, about her two little sidekicks, because the larger of the two... I'm English, and I didn't understand a damn word he was saying for at least
0: 70% of the scenes that you were in. Do you mean larger width-wise, the wider one or the taller one? The wider one. Okay.
1: It's just, really, 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 yeah.
0: Bit like that. I think he's doing an over-the-top Cockney accent. I understood him. It was a bit annoying, but I did understand what he was saying. It's too raspy. I just couldn't,
1: I don't know, maybe my volume wasn't high enough, but it just sounded like noise. What did you
0: make of them? Did you think they were good characters?
1: I thought they were all right. They featured a lot more heavily than I anticipated. I think the taller of the two, he's predominantly in this all the way through.
0: They have their own arc of questioning what Cruella is doing and they have their own opinions and they have their own scenes together. That really surprised me. I I didn't mind that. I thought that was good.
1: Yeah, I liked that element to it as well because I think it made you sympathise with them as a viewer because you were going on a very similar... Emotional journey where well, you think, actually, I don't know how I feel about what she's doing here. I quite liked how it mirrored that.
0: Another thing that put me off, sorry, it was the amount of voiceover in the beginning. They were using voiceover to explain everything that was going on to kind of brush us through it, but it still went on for half an mm. hour. Text
1: across the screen had provoked a similar reaction out of me. I thought, this is adding nothing. I know this is going on anyway. You've already explained it. I don't need to see. Is the Baroness old news? We've just asked that question about six times. Shall we cut to the chase, James? Don't know why I'm asking. You've pretty much said it, but would you recommend Cruella?
0: No. Daniel, would you recommend Cruella?
1: I personally don't see why anybody wouldn't get at least something hurt this film. There's something in it for everyone, I thought. So it's the easiest of recommends.
0: And it may appear on my top 10 list of the year. But let's not spoil the end of year episode. Let's just spoil Cruella. Bruce Willis' His real name is Tyler Durden. sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Doop, 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 spoilers.
1: More complicated to dissect than I anticipated. This so, in her youth, Cruella gets expelled from school. Her and her mum venture off to London to start a new life together. They make a brief stop off at a huge manor for unknown reasons. There's a party in full swing at the manor, and through a series of unfortunate events, Cruella or Stella, Estella. Her mum is in the company of a mysterious woman at the time. She falls off a cliff to her death, leaving Cruella to find her feet on her own in the big city of London. Within time, she lands this dream job that... You were right, it was a bit too convenient. She's a designer for London's hottest fashionista, the Baroness. She then comes to learn that the Baroness is actually the mysterious woman who was with her mother when she met her demise. She's wearing her brooch She then embarks on this road to revenge to bring the Baroness down and all that. As the film goes on, Estella, Cruella, Stella comes to learn that actually the Baroness is her real mother. And then through an elaborate plot, she brings her down by making all the party guests watch on as she's pushed to a death, mirroring that of her adopted mother. She's pushed by the Baroness, who's the real mother. She's faked to death. She formally... Now identifies as Cruella Vil. She inherits the mansion, blah, 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 blah. Bring on the sequel. We're going to have very complicated feelings about her.
0: What were your feelings on Cruella by the end? Oh,
1: you're asking, her, asking I felt,
0: a hard question. I felt like she's a bit mad and she's not sympathetic, but she's not evil either.
1: Similar, similar, I think, in some ways. But this is why I thought it was quite clever, because there's almost this admission by the end. You've been kind of with her throughout this film because you understand why she's doing what she's doing it would make sense for anyone really who lost mum in this way to maybe react as she does but then there's this recognition that it's in her dna almost that she is going to be as evil as her birth mother which conveniently sets up where she ends up in the later dalmatian films like you are going to hate her because she is just designed this way And that's why I think I was more warm to it than you. I thought that was quite nicely done because they're basically saying, yeah, you might have enjoyed her in this, but you're going to hate her in the next film.
0: Okay, that makes sense. The way I was feeling about it a little bit was they want us to sympathize with her now and have this iconic, bold performance and half forget that she's going to become evil later on. I just didn't know what they were trying to do i don't i can't figure out whether it's really complex a complex character study or whether they don't even know what's going on
1: i I thought the former and don't think it technically does explain what you're saying but there was was, uh this monologue that she delivers at the fountain in regent's park and it's all that again is all one take and that gives you a very you might argue surface level i thought a deeper understanding of her psychology and it was quite chilling in some respects. I know I just poo-pooed my partner before for saying, it reminded me of Batman, but that had Joker vibes to it for me. I thought, oh, this is dark. Because I don't feel as though this is a kid's film. I think there's family entertainment in it, but there's enough darkness for it to be adult at the same time.
0: And I agree, it's it's not a kid's film. There is a comparison with Joker, Joaquin Phoenix Joker. But I feel like with the Joker, it's a worrying decline into madness and it's concerning to watch someone go this mad you're not worried about him or sympathetic for him it's just concerning whereas in this it's a worrying descent into being mad but you're also supposed to celebrate it with montages and look at how amazing her clothes are at the same time and that was a bit confused for me or maybe i'm maybe i'm overthinking it i just know that they want this to be an iconic thing but to do that they have to ignore that she she Basically enslaves that David Bowie cosplayer, which didn't really make any sense to me. And her henchman, the taller one, he makes valid points about her decline. But then at the end, it's forgotten about. We're just going to be with her now and wear matching black clothes with bowler hats.
1: I don't feel like the film is discounting what is to come with the later films and how 100% evil she is. There's no redeeming feature to her at all in the later films, from memory anyway. Obviously, you've not seen them, so it's hard for you to comment on. Yes, it's kind of a lighthearted journey getting there, but I think the story of revenge and redemption is universally relatable, but the other aspects to her character, which we don't all recognise because we're not all quite built this way... Points towards, yeah, you've had a fun time with her, but this is a deeply troubled woman and she is going to go on to become evil. Do
0: you think it's similar in style to the Ryan Murphy stuff
1: that you like? I suppose you could see it as that. Yeah, there's quite a lot of attention to detail. It's very glamorous and flamboyant in many respects. So maybe that is what I appreciated about it. I did actually say to Charlotte between this and Holston, maybe I've just missed out on a career in fashion. I seem to love this for some reason
0: yeah yeah and Halston is Ryan Murphy as well isn't it yes he's involved somehow with the fashion thing I thought maybe I just thought something was going to happen which wasn't going to happen that it would be a battle of fashion brands but the fashion fighting is Cruella turns up at baroness's parties does a pose in an, an elaborate outfit and then drives off and that's supposed to be this extremely disruptive almost illegal thing to do but if you were at the party all you would see is someone turning up posing and then driving off again and you would say okay we'll back to whatever else i was doing
1: yeah but i think the point is what is to then follow which we don't see the fallout of is far less interesting than when cruella Turned up and stole the show. It just makes everything else redundant. That's that's all she's trying to do. She's gonna say, forget your fancy, glamorous party. I'm gonna show it for three minutes and make everyone else think, why did I hang around for two hours for this rubbish in comparison?
0: That makes sense. Okay.
1: And and yes, it abandons the fashion angle later on, but there's a more personal story at play, which is why they do that. And I think it makes sense. Can I ask you one thing, actually? Does Emma Thompson know that she's her daughter? In that final party scene, because there's this, she speaks to a butler, Mark Strong, and she says, what did you think I meant by getting rid of her? And I didn't know whether that was a coincidental conversation that they were just having, or whether, oh no, she understands that Cruella is a daughter, because I thought there was a reveal there at the end. And that bit was all confusing to me.
0: I had the same confusion as well. She says, what did I mean by take care of it? And that seemed to me an obvious callback to Mark Strong's explanation of... When she was born, saying I was told to take care of it, but I couldn't. But yeah, then when they meet on the cliff, Cruella and the Baroness, the Baroness has this emotional look like, oh, it all makes sense now. You're my daughter. Yeah, I didn't understand it either. I actually thought that the Baroness knew that Cruella was her daughter when the Baroness was burning down Cruella's house. Did you think that as well? Well,
1: yeah, that's what I mean. I, well, given what happens in that last scene before she meets her on the cliff, I thought, oh, maybe she did know at that point but there's nothing explicitly said either way for you to categorically know that that's the truth. So it's left up in the air. It's a bit of a, a grey area, that one. Have to say as well, Mark Strong's exposition heavy, This Is How You Were Born, didn't like that. It seemed like he was reading off a script and he was just cramming in as much as he can. A la Woman in the Window that we watched a few weeks back. It was a bit contrived and thrown
0: in that, I thought. Yeah, it was. It was a bit of clumsy flashback exposition.
1: We're not seeing eye to eye as much as we did last year, I don't think, so far. I think we've had more a clashing of opinions, which is good. We don't always want to agree on films. That's just boring, isn't it? So please do take my advice and watch Cruella. Ignore James.
0: But will we agree or disagree next week when we review The Conjuring 3? The Devil Made Me Do It.
1: But Dan made you do it on this occasion, didn't he? Because you're not, not the biggest fan of horror films, but I'm forcing you to watch it. I apologise in advance, James.
0: You might have to apologise. I might like it. We'll find out next week.